0: My name is Stephen, I'm the pastor. It's a blessing to open the word of God with you and to honor Jesus and to come to his word. His word is powerful and effective. It is everything to us. Will you turn your Bible please with me to Galatians chapter six. So being honest with you, it's been, if you don't have a Bible by the way, they're on the table in the back. Um, It's been a weird couple weeks There's a lot going on internationally. There's a lot going on in politics. There's a lot going on with school starting. If you have little kids and school is starting, God bless you. The struggle is real. That's good. There's a lot going on. Everybody doing okay? Good. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning as we start. And so bear with me. The first thing I'd like you to do is turn to your your neighbor and say, the Lord is here. He is here. He's here because he indwells his people. So if you are his, and you know Jesus, and you belong to him, he is here. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's OK to talk. <laughs> all right, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because I want you to actually ask the questions, actually engage today, and that's OK. It's all right to do that. Sometimes we come to church. The last couple of weeks we've been doing this. We won't do that forever. So not every time is a time to be like, hey, I have a question, although I probably will answer your question. But, uh, but it's good to be able to actually talk together and be real with each other, and that's important. And so I want to start off with something that a great minister taught me and he, that he did uh, with the church and with his classrooms that he taught in. And he had a thing called life questions. And so he would start off every class with life questions and just open up the discussion for anything anybody wanted to ask about. Um, I stole this from him unabashedly when I taught uh, taught junior and senior high school government politics and English for a little while. And while I did that, I'd start off every day with life questions. And I recently got a letter from one of the kids I grew up that told me he got saved in the life questions. How cool is that? Isn't that cool? All right. So we're going to start with life questions. No pressure (laughs) now that I've said all that. Does anybody have any questions or things that have been... Burning in you, or big stuff that you're curious about, or you drove to church this morning and you're like, this thing is just on your mind all the time. Does that make sense? This can be about anything about life. Any question at all? Anybody? If not, that's okay. But I want to give the opportunity because it's a weird time. It is a weird time right now, isn't it? Anybody, any any questions? Any opinions about. role of uh, Lord and we're living in a time of global warming and hopefully that's not in dispute but anyway, in my opinion we're in a time of global warming. Do we think that our Lord God might intervene in any way or is this the kind of thing where he says hey, you kind of set your own table and you fix it you I think, I think the that? Lord is bigger than all of us and I think we need to be responsible because we are made to tend the earth as his image bearers and at the same time the scientists are saying that there's we're beyond the tipping points so uh let's hope in the lord and let's be responsible and also um i trust the lord more than i trust the science that makes sense right especially science of things that we barely understand so i'm being honest with you in that sense of like we don't fully know what's at the bottom of the oceans But boy, we know that the planet is, you know, changing climate and all this stuff is happening. I feel like sometimes we get a step ahead in the science of what we assume. Um, So the reality is, as Christians, we have one message to proclaim, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. And that salvation includes our souls, yes, but also he's redeeming us toward redemption in him that looks like being embodied in a resurrection body on this earth when he returns. That's the Christian hope. It's not just flitter away to heaven. Um, it's also not that the earth just totally burns and it goes away. The earth is refined. The Lord comes back, and he inherits this planet that he made. That's what the Bible tells us. Mm-hmm. We are resurrected to life with him and live forever with Jesus. Now, we can have a whole series on that. That's, the theological word for that is eschatological hope. So our eschatology, we can talk all about that all day. If you have grown up with something different, you're like, I'm very confused. Well, let's get a coffee. That's a huge discussion. Yeah. Having said that, the, the hope of the Lord, though, is if he's redeeming people and healing people and changing people and resurrecting people, he, he can do that for our planet, too. So we're, we're just going to trust Jesus and not get sidetracked, because the mission cannot be, you know, uh, um, I, I believe abortion is a sin. Our mission is not anti-abortion. Our mission is the gospel. And I'm using that as, here's a huge major thing that we can talk about as the church, of the sanctity of life and protecting people of all ages, infant to, to elderly, all those things. But we can make our mission one s- political sphere, or we can just have the gospel, and it includes all these areas of life. So we're not going to be an expert on global warming church. Um, we are looking into trying, we are recycling we couldn't recycle. It was astronomically expensive to get recycling here at the church. And recently we got a new quote because they opened up the area and there's not a monopoly anymore on the one trash people we could use. Now there's another one. They happen to have recycling at better rates. So probably going to start recycling soon. Praise the Lord. You know. So let's be responsible. Amen. OK. Any other questions? <laughs> See, live questions. They come anywhere. I don't know. You may disagree with that answer of that one, by the way. It's, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, the question is if somebody tells you that they believe in the teachings of scripture uh, excuse me of Jesus but they don't believe in his divinity that he's the son of God and all those kind of things uh, is there a scripture that you can go to Um, I would go to John 1 talking about the word he's with God He is the word and he's come Um, I would start there the bigger question honestly is going to be do they believe the Bible so everybody everybody Um, believes in Jesus. In fact, in the um, Islamic religion and the Muslim faith, Jesus is God's messenger who will judge the earth. So the Quran teaches that Jesus will be the judge who will judge as the final prophet the earth. So um, one aspect that I use in talking to Muslim people is, if he's the judge, I'd rather follow his words. And so let's start with, if he's the word in John, if the Bible is the word of God, then we can walk through um, you know, some of the different passages in Matthew. I'm thinking of Matthew 14 and others that we can talk about how Jesus proclaims that unless you come to him, you can't have salvation. And so you can't you know, pick and choose because every, most every culture says, oh, Jesus, he's great. Everybody. There's really kind of undisputed of people that they really like Jesus' teachings about loving people. They don't like Jesus' teachings about how to have peace with God. So that's, that's the approach that I would take, honestly. And that's a mu- it's kind of that longer discussion of helping people see the scriptures is, is valid in every area of life. Any other questions, thoughts? It's OK if you don't have them, any. It's, it's good. If we're, see, we're just living life together right now, right? OK, I have a question for you. Any last questions before we start? I have a question for you. This is rhetorical, so don't answer it out loud. You can write it down if you want. Just think about it inside yourself. Other than your salvation and your family being safe, if the Lord will come to you right now, an angel shows up in front of you and he goes, hey, you got 60 seconds left. You're coming home today. In the next 60 seconds, make a phone call, whatever. I'm giving you 60 seconds, and then we're going to go. Don't worry about it. The Lord's in charge. Everything's fine. You're like, okay, if that's today, today's the day you meet the Lord, today's the day you die, other than your family being safe in those things, what legacy would you hope to leave? Especially if it's today. What legacy would you hope to leave? We always think we've got 40 more years, 30 more years, 20 more years, 10 more years, five more years, I can get to that thing of that legacy. What if it's today? What would you hope to leave? Let's say that you worked as a Marine, United States Marine Corps, and then got out of the Marine Corps after maybe you got injured or something, started working for the State Department, and for 20 years, you've worked in Afghanistan. And now what do you have to show for it? Legacy is a funny thing, isn't it? A lot of blood and treasure put into Afghanistan. Now what? The kingdom of God is not like that. But I'm raising this question because it's easy for us to go through life and see really great things happening and be excited about all the things that God is doing. But boy, when we get to the end and you start to think about these big things, we just need Jesus, don't we? How can you even control? I mean, what is the big legacy you want to leave? I want to leave $20 million to my family. Is it going to be worth $20 million in two years? Who knows? Nobody knows. We need Jesus. In the letter to the church in Galatia, Paul is writing to them. He's the apostle. And he is speaking to these people who he has discipled. He's done a lot of life questions with them. He has instructed them in the faith. He has brought them up like a, like a parent leading a child into the gospel, into the things of God. And this church is an interesting church because there are Jewish people there. They're also now Gentile Christians, which means non-Jewish people. And so the Jewish people, they come on pretty quick understanding all the heritage of what God has already instructed them. So they already have a context of knowledge from their family heritage about what God has done and how he rescued and redeemed them. And so if you've known and heard about every year how God delivered your people from slavery and God sent Moses, this great prophet, and he rose up and the Lord delivered them with power and with might and brought them to this land and wow, just hearing about all the great things that God has done and now you hear about Christ who's come and he's the new prophet, he's the fulfillment, he's the better Moses. And he's brought us not just out of slavery to an oppressive people in Egypt, but now he's brought us out of slavery from sin into life. And you meet him, spiritually you meet him, and it's like your whole life has led up to this moment. And it's so exciting. What, what a great context. The, the Gentile people, they don't have that. All they know is, I heard about this guy Jesus, and suddenly it was like my heart got filled with something other than myself. And I, all of a sudden, I looked up, and I was like, Jesus is Lord, and I need him to cleanse me, and, and I prayed, Lord, cleanse me, and I felt him cleanse me, and, and now my life is different than it used to be. I'm a different person now. A lot of us have those kind of testimonies, don't we? We're different. It just, God did something, and now I'm not the same. That's a good testimony. But without that context, that's a very different place. So Paul has taken, taken both of these people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, those with the context in history and those who are just newly meeting God and walking together with them to teach them together the gospel because it's the same for everyone. Now we're in one family together, and everyone has the same context. Paul uses the words engrafted in like a plant, like a tree that's been engrafted into a root, that now we have that same context together. But in doing so, a lot has happened, and so he's left Galatia. He's actually gone to prison. He's done all kinds of things for the sake of the gospel. The Roman Empire doesn't really like this new growing religion that Paul is helping lead. And so they're starting to stamp out parts of it with persecution. Also, the Jews who uh, have not yet met the Lord are upset about all these people leaving the faith. And so they're starting to try to stamp out the faith as well. And so the people in Galatia have had other teachers come in teaching them different things. And the whole root of their teaching is, yeah, yeah, Jesus, he's great, he saves, and all that, sure. But really, to be saved, you need to follow all this Jewish stuff again. And so in particular, you need to be circumcised, which is the sign of the covenant, not just for infants in this culture. Uh, be circumcised is a sign of your, of your humility before God and your desire to be a part. And also, you've got to follow the law. Everything that the law says to do, you better do it, including don't eat shrimp. You know, wear this special clothes, all this kind of stuff. Things that Jesus didn't require of everybody. So, here's what Paul says, Galatians chapter 6. He's challenging the people, reminding them of the gospel that he said, and bringing them back to the truth of grace in Christ Jesus and the salvation that he has given us, which is a free gift by God. Let's read together Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says this, See But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation and as all and as for all who walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God from now on let no one cause me trouble for i bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Praise the Lord for his word. The end of his letter is important. Now, there's a special word called amanuensis. And amanuensis was a person who was like a scribe or a writer. Um, Think of a television show from the 1950s where somebody walks in and they sit down and they say, take a note. And somebody like whips out a pen or whatever or a little typewriter thing. And they just start going. And amanuensis is a person who's writing on behalf of someone else, but their words. So like a scribe or like a secretary kind of person. And a lot of Paul's letters were written by amanuensis because he's in jail. Now when you think of jails, don't think of big American prisons. Think generally of a mountainside, carved a cave out of that mountainside, put some bars in there, and you're just in there. And that's where you are. Whole, literal hole in the ground. That will work, too, because you can't escape that. You know, these are the kind of jails. They didn't like build new buildings. They didn't have these special criminal justice system that's going to be really watching out for everybody. Generally speaking, you didn't eat unless your family brought you food while you're in jail. This is one of the reasons that the Lord said, if you visit those in prison even, you're doing this unto me. is because these people have, there's nothing. They're literally starving in the jails. And now Christians are coming to visit people in jails and bring them food? Who, who are these people? It's amazing. But Paul's in jail, people bringing him food, and he has these scribe people who are helping him write. Then he ends this letter, though. Imagine him reaching through the bars. Give me that stuff. See how I'm writing this with my own hand. Why do you think he's doing that? Yeah, it's really from him, and also there's no question, no question. This is what he wanted us to get. What does he want us to get? The truth of the gospel, yeah. Of central importance. That these people who are trying to make you circumcised are doing this really for their own boasting in their own flesh. In verse 14 he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross, Of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's a big statement, isn't it? Can you say that you boast in the cross of Christ? That you are crucified to the world and I and you to the world and the world to you? You follow him only? Isn't it funny how there's a lot of poles in this earth? Things that clamor for your heart? Have you noticed that commercials are louder than the show? Have you noticed that five seconds or less, every streaming app will start the next video when the credits start? Why do you think they do that? They're not. They're pretty smart. First of all, because it's frustrating to get to the credits. Like, Just skip the credits. So it's, well, oh, it does it for you. That's nice. But also, yeah, isn't it funny how you can watch eight episodes of something? And then you, your head hurts, and you feel weird, and you're like, I've been sitting here for 16 hours. What happened to me? But you really want to know. And, you've, and you're, now you're debating, should we watch 9? Yeah. Should we? Should we? We'll feel bad. It's, it's late. Slasher, you look over, and your wife's just asleep. She's been asleep for six episodes. So I guess I'm going to watch them all again. That's how it works. But that happens to us, doesn't it? Yes. Why does that happen? Because things want to capture your attention, capture your heart. Do you know how difficult it is now to capture people's attention? It's difficult. It's really difficult. It's so difficult that the advertising people will tell you that you need to have, and you can correct me if you're a business person, you've heard this differently, but something like eight engagements a day now. Is that right? Eight engagements a day of your product. So Coca-Cola wants to get the Coke emblem or something about their product in front of you eight times a day. Social media, radio, television, um, things on the road, you know, the billboards, a truck with an emblem on it, somebody who's got a shirt on, anything that they can do to get their emblem in front of you so that at the end of the day when you're like, I could use a sweet treat, you're like, Coca-Cola sounds good. (laughs) And they're doing that on purpose because that's what they want to do. They want you to buy their product eight times a day. Have you tried to have a conversation with little kids nowadays? (laughs) (sighs) Difficult. Have you noticed in restaurants how many kids are And it, Hey, praise the Lord for devices. So I'm not knocking this. But have you noticed whole families on devices oh, yeah. at dinner? I was at, um, I was at the Texas Roadhouse place. That place is pretty good. I was at the Texas Roadhouse place and just got our, our little uh, rolls that they bring out that are delicious and hot. Oh, man. We should probably go there today. Anyway, <laughs> just got them. And I'm doing the thing. And I look up and I'm talking to Lisa. And the table right behind her had five people. The youngest was probably seven, maybe, three kids. So seven-year-old maybe to 14-ish age, and mom and dad. And every one of them were just, and I just kind of took note. Like, how long are they going to do that? And they just, it was a long time, until the waitress brought the food. And all of a sudden, they were like, oh, that's funny. Like, why would you go out to eat somewhere If you're just, you can do that at home. You can do that in your car. You just go through the drive-thru and just eat in the car and just watch stuff. But that's what our culture does. Things pull at our heart nowadays. What's pulling at these people's heart? Especially these ones that are trying to change the gospel. In verse 12, here's what it tells us. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be what? persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, praise the Lord. You know, there are people in Afghanistan today, people in Pakistan today, people in India today, people in China, people all around the world who are choosing whether or not to exercise their faith at the expense of their safety. Should I go to church if it means we're going to be found out? Should we assemble like normal or should we stay in hiding? Should we choose a different day? What should we do? praise god we don't have to do that and i'm not saying that lightly that praise the lord what a blessing but even in the proclamation of the church that's meeting freely there's this idea not just of persecution but of comfort that it's easier sometimes to just go with the flow you just go with the flow it makes it a lot easier And really, because I don't want to be persecuted or I don't want to have inconvenience happen to me, maybe if I just sort of dumb down the gospel a little bit. You know, I won't make it challenging. I'll tell you what. We'll just stick with the teachings of Jesus that are really nice about love. Kind of just end it there. And that's been in our nation for a long time. You know, Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and inked out all the stuff he didn't like. Anything that was anti-love, he took it out. The whole thing is like four pages long now. That was his faith. It's a deist. He believed in Jesus, not a Christian. Believed in Jesus. Knew Believed in God. There's definitely a God, but surely it's this that I want and not what he actually said. And that's the challenge, is this idea of persecution. Praise God, we don't have people banging down our doors, but it is costly to follow Christ. It's costly to stand on the word of God and trust him more than you trust your own desire for comfort. It's costly. It's costly when you have a friend who is walking headlong into sin, and you have to say something, and you know it's going to affect your relationship. It's costly when you have a family member who you love, who's telling you, just let me do what I want to do, and stop talking to me about it. Mm -hmm. It's costly when it's Christmas, and you want to get together, and you know there's that one side of the family who just won't because they just don't want to hear it. Now, that doesn't mean we're belligerent about things, right? You know the funny part is, family members that I have who don't really want to engage, they just know the conversation might come up. It's not the fact that I'm throwing words at them all the time. It's they just don't even want to mess with it. I used to have a a soldier that I worked with in the military. And he was a really good guy. And he was an alcoholic. And um, I I loved him, and I was friends with him, and I was trying to help him and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he was telling me about how, as a very high-functioning alcoholic, he could figure out from his buddies, because we were in the police force, he could figure out from other policemen where are the traps to know where to drive and where not to drive. And I was like, dude, you can't drive. You know you can't drive. Yeah, I know. Like, you know you can't. Don't do that. That's not good. Yeah, I know. So it got to the point where he had built himself his own bar in his house with full kegs and refrigerators. A kegerator, he called it. And um, he was just, I mean, this guy, high functioning, but he was just not there all the time. And all the time, you got to just be present to say, this is not okay. You're living your life in such a way, you know I care for you. This is not safe. At what point do they just get so fed up with you taking their keys that you're just not going to come around anymore? And that's the reality is the costliness of something that we all agree on. Now to stand up and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and me and my family cannot walk down this path. Jesus Christ is Lord, and so because he's Lord, my children aren't going to watch these movies. Jesus Christ is Lord, and because he's Lord, our yes is yes and our no is no. We said we'd be here, here we are. And then people don't know what to do with you. It's costly to follow Jesus, and it's much more simple in life just to flow with comfort, isn't it? Our culture is designed for it. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because I want to open our eyes to this idea that even now, we have Teslas are so cool, right? These cars, they're fun. We have these self-driving cars, though, to the point where even you can just have the car drive yourself. Why do you need the car to drive itself? So you can watch more TV. At the end of the day, that's, this is the reality, right? Have you noticed the screen is this big in that thing? Why? So you can watch the movie while you're driving. The car is driving you. So great. This is, nothing is not by design. Like, all of this is created in such a way to keep you just complacent. And I'm telling you that because the imperative of the gospel on us. Paul goes on to say, circumcision and uncircumcision. What does he say about it? verse 15 Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation And here's the reality as good as people think they are oh, that's almost that as bad as good as people think they are as moral as people think they are All the best things that our culture would say these are wonderful things charitable giving amazing and wonderful All of those things count for nothing if you're not a new creation in Christ. And the weight of the gospel is not just live a good life. Here's five steps to make you better. Just do a couple of these things and you'll be all right with God. And that's usually what things get dumbed down to. And then turned into just little TV series that you can watch. Because, man, you're already doing it, so just watch these ones. It'll be great. And instead, the gospel itself is conflict with our culture. It is completely against it in every way, because you cannot be a son of God and follow the world. Paul says it this way, I've been crucified to the world, and the world's been crucified to me. That's death. Death. We can't just dabble in the world and say, oh, it's fine. Everything's going to be okay, and have a message that's so watered down, we're not even representing God anymore. But that's what our nation wants. Our nation wants us just to have a moral message and everybody love each other. That's good, and then that's fine. But not to come into any real things about God. Did you know the first time that I met God, I was so filled with life. I was a little kid. So filled with life. So excited to meet him. I just knew him. You ever, can you look back on your own life and just, you just knew him at one point? You can't even fully put your finger on You just knew him. And then I started growing up and, you know, you get confronted with different things in life and uh, you have challenges and different things happening. And I remember coming to God again, reading my Bible, following him, knowing him, walking in his ways and loving him and all these good things and singing worship songs at night and all this kind of stuff. And then I remember one day coming face to face with him and being terrified of how big and powerful and strong and holy he really is. And I remember praying and seeing God move and big things happening. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, don't ever play. Don't ever play that you're a Christian. You're either mine or you're not. Don't ever play. And don't ever think that you can just use my power. It doesn't work that way. Because I thought, this is how it goes. I remember, listen, I was a little kid, so bear with me, all right? I remember outside I was praying over a storm to control the storm. I was a little kid. I was a Christian. This is in the Bible, right? This is Elijah prays, rain stops. I'm like, I got this. So I'm standing outside, I'm praying, and a lightning hit right near me. And it was, and very quickly, that's when the Lord said, Don't you play. We don't play. Here's the crazy part the Lord answered the prayer. Lightning hit, storm went away. It was the weirdest thing. And I sat in the car. Never gonna do that again. Never gonna do that again. Why? Because he's he's bigger than we think. Because he's God. Because your life is in him. It's not just doing things that you think are good. It's not just being a nice person. You know, most people think that they're gonna go to heaven because they're better than Hitler. That's the reality. Ask somebody. Why do you think God will let you into heaven? I'm better than Hitler. You know, I did pretty good. I help a lot of people. But the Bible tells us these things count for nothing if you're not a new creation in Christ. What does that mean to be a new creation in Christ? It means that he's taken you. He's taken your debt, your record of your sin. He has nailed it to the cross by his power that you can say like Paul, I was crucified with Christ. I'm dead to the world. I became alive now. When he rose to life, I rose with him. My spirit was suddenly awake, and I looked up, and he was the first person I saw. And he washed me and cleansed me, and I said, Lord, I repent. I want to be like you. I want to serve you. And I know that he took my sin away as far as the east is from the west. And all of a sudden, my whole life is different because I'm his child, and I'm new in every way. And ready? Awaiting a day when you will receive a body also in resurrection that will last forever. How cool is that? But unless you can say, I know Jesus, and I trust him that he himself died and rose again and I rose with him and I'm his, unless you can say that he is my righteousness, unless you can say that my salvation is because my Lord is alive and he is seated on the throne and he is interceding for me, unless you can say that my salvation is because he pulled me up to himself, he cleansed me, he made me his, he made me a joint heir with him, he made me a son, he put me in a family, I am Jesus' possession a slave of righteousness, and I submit my life to him because everything I have is his, and every good and and meriting thing I have, anything I could earn is because he has enabled me. Unless we say that, you're not in him. Did you know that people were running around casting out demons in Jesus' name, and healing people in Jesus' name, who had no portion in him? Did you know it's possible? Because the name of Jesus is so powerful? Because at the name of Jesus, the demons really do flee. At the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So sometimes in the name of Jesus, people just get healed. And yet, there are those who are doing those things who didn't even know him. Simon the sorcerer came up to Peter, seeing that Peter, the apostle, was healing people in the name of Jesus. And he brought money and he said, let me purchase this thing from you. And what did Peter say? How dare you come to the Lord of life and try to buy with money that which God gives? But guess what? We do it all the, all the time. People think, if I just give this money to charity, if I'm just generous with my money, if I'm just, you know, I saw that guy outside Bush Stadium and I gave him $100. I mean, that was all my snack money. I, like, I didn't eat snacks. I, didn't, I wasn't comfortable because I helped that guy. Surely God... He's going to see that and bless me, surely. But the reality is all those things count for nothing unless you're a new creation in him. How do you know if you're a new creation in him? How do you know? The Bible tells us that without the Holy Spirit, you can't even say Jesus is Lord. If you come to this table like we've done today and you come and worship him and you submit your life to him and you bring anything else in front of him, money, rank, whatever, and you bring your popularity, you bring your reputation, you bring your legacy, you bring your checking account. If you bring any of those things to God and say, Lord, receive me based on this, that's what I got, then you're not a Christian. But if you come to him and you say, Lord, I so need you that I, I partake in your body, Lord, I so need you that I'm going to drink this cup knowing that you took the cup of wrath for me, that I get to drink this good cup knowing that you have poured out your life for me. And so, Lord, everything else I have, I give you as an offering because I love you. But, Father, it's because of you. It's because of what you've done. It's because of your son. It's because of his death and resurrection. If you come to him like that, you know him. And you can say in yourself, I am his. Because flesh and blood does not reveal these things, but the Spirit of God. Why am I saying all these things to us today? I'm saying these things to us today because we're in a weird time. We're in a weird time where up is down and we can't tell what's happening. How do you evaluate your legacy on the earth? What does it mean? It seems like sometimes you can work 20 years at something, you can give blood and treasure, and it just sort of goes away. And I'm telling you today that God does not evaluate things the same way that we evaluate things as humans. God evaluates based on faithfulness, on being a new creation, on being His. He evaluates based on what He's doing. And so if we come to Him and our legacy is, Lord, I love you, I put myself before you, my whole heart is yours, and we live in faithfulness, God will use that. And the reality, too, is this message that we have is necessary for our country for our city, for our generation, for our children, for our neighbors. And if we are going to choose comfort instead of telling the truth, then we're walking down a path that we need to reassess right now. Because the truth of the matter is, Paul from prison is explaining that unless you know God this way, it counts for nothing. And our neighbors really think that they're going to go to heaven because they're better than Hitler. we got work to do, don't we? We really do have work to do. And I'm not just talking about in the United States Congress. I'm talking about on your street, when you meet your neighbors, the people God's put in your life, your coworkers, your relatives. We need to be unabashedly telling them the truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. He is everything. And it's because of him that we can know peace with God. There's only one way to be saved. And it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's grace of God. A free gift so that we can't boast. The Lord is so good to us, isn't he? When I uh, first joined the Army, I went away for training. And I was in a weird status, so I didn't go to like basic training like normal. I went to this special officer school thing. And um, I got rushed through the thing. And so I had a uniform, but I didn't have any boots yet, even. Because the army is like that; it's not like the air force that has everything. But that's fine. So, whatever. <laughs> so I get to I get to the place. We get on the bus. I've got my boots on, and I had a, a camouflage stick, which is like this stick of like makeup stuff, in a very sharp metal tube. So you got to make sure it's actually out, or you can hurt yourself. And you just, you know get that on your face. And they're screaming at us on the bus while we're going. Like this is how you do it. So I had a mirror that I brought with me and my shaving kit. And I had my camouflage stuff that I'm putting on my face as we're coming to this space to do training. And I had a backpack with stuff, but I have no boots. So I just have my tennis shoes on. And it's Michigan. And it's snowing. Yeah. And so I get, to, I get to the training place. And up to this point, you know, they're, they're yelling, but everything's pretty nice. They're like, hey, welcome. This is going to be great. You're going to love it. This is going to be awesome. OK, we're going to get off the bus. And I stepped down to the ground. And I just immediately heard just screaming everywhere. And I didn't know what was happening. And people are falling down in front of me. It was, I don't, know what, I don't know what happened. And all I know is I'm on my back doing flutter kicks. You know what flutter kicks are? Where you make your feet go like this For so, forever, forever. While somebody screamed at somebody else, making them watch me in my pain so that they would feel bad. I didn't know what was happening. All I knew was it was loud and it was painful. And then I went in this barracks, and I found out that the people who were above me two levels were being evaluated, and they hadn't put out any guards to make sure there was no, there's no traffic, there's nobody on the base. But they didn't put anybody on the roads to make sure that the roads were clear before they let us off the bus. So we were punished for 30 minutes while they had to watch. And people screamed at them that they were going to get soldiers killed. And that was my introduction. Like, what is happening? So then I got on a bunk, I walk in this, off this room, and put my stuff on this bunk, and they said, this mattress is gross, don't let your skin touch it, but you're going to sleep on it tonight. It's been here since the Korean War. Again, not the Air Force. So we start doing training. We came in at like 2 in the morning. I slept on the thing. I didn't let my skin touch it. Woke up and screaming, who has the vegetarian burrito? You get these special, it's as bad as you think. Pre-made meals, horrible. Got, and it was me, and I had the vegetarian burrito. And I sat down, and three of the cadre who were evaluating watched me eat it laughing as I put to basket. It was like eating a piece of plastic. It was the worst thing I've ever, ever had in my life. And then we ran 10 miles. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was happening. And then I was in a tent that night, and my buddy who was with me in the tent was a cold-weather injury because he got frostbite. So now I'm alone in the tent. I don't know what's happening. And the next day, they woke us up by throwing simulator grenades at us. This was my introduction to the military. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. But that's what we did. And we're not, I'm not special forces. Like I was not even that cool. I'm not Rambo. I was just a guy. But it was, it was wild. But then I got my boots. And here's the cool part. You put that uniform on. Put your boots on. You have all the tapes on there, all the stuff. Yeah, it has your rank. It has all that stuff. It says U.S. Army right over your chest or over your heart. You know, you become something different. And God uses those things, the suffering, to make you something different. Because when you're doing that stuff, you can't just be you anymore. You have to train yourself that you're going to react a certain way because everybody's at stake. And three, four years in the program, I understood why they were screaming at us because of the road guards. Because if one thing is out of place, people are in danger, like really in danger. And this is nothing, but it's the, this is where we get to learn it. And I'm telling you this, God has made you a new creation. He has placed his righteousness upon you. He has put his royal robes on you. I know I said this a couple weeks ago, but uh, Joseph, when he got his coat of many colors, the idea of being clothed in the Middle East was the idea. Was the, uh, idea of receiving an inheritance, basically. So the highest ranking people would be clothed by other people. This is why Elijah, when he calls Elisha, puts his cloak on him. He was inheriting. He's the only prophet in the Bible, by the way, to inherit a spirit like that, to inherit a calling. But he's clothing Elisha. And Elisha, this is why he burns his livelihood. Do you remember the story? Sacrifice the oxen, Elisha the prophet is uh, plowing up a field. Elijah the prophet comes by, throws his cloak on him, immediately Elisha destroys his old way of livelihood, sacrifices the oxen, burns the the yoke stuff that he had to drive the oxen, and goes and follows Elisha, and basically does his laundry for like two years, and then before he starts, yeah, no going back, but the reason for that is he has an inheritance now from God, a calling, a commission to do something. Joseph the same way. Joseph has a, a, a vision that his brothers are going to bow down to him, and then his dad shows up with this beautiful coat of many colors and places it on his shoulders, and all the brothers recognize, well, "You're giving the inheritance to him? What, he's not the oldest. What are you doing?" And that's when they, we got to kill this guy. We got to kill him. Well, we can't kill him, but let's sell him into slavery. Bring the coat back, covered in lamb's blood, the sign of the inheritance to our dad. And Jesus, the firstborn, who died for us and rose again, clothes you with his righteousness because you're a joint heir with him of the inheritance. Because you're his. You are commissioned in him much more than a US Army name tape can ever do. He has put on you an identity in himself that you are his, his representative, his new creation in the earth, that you would tend it, that you would disciple everyone. This is what he said. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. I, my heart burns for this baptismal to be full again because God has given us a commission in his grace that we are his and new creations in him. Amen. You can do it. Even if you say words wrong, even if it's weird, if God has put somebody on your heart, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, tell them about Jesus. And you don't have to come in and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. The Lord will do that. Just tell them about Jesus. Here's the best way to do it. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. I just want want you to know there's a better way. There's a better way. He's the better way.